Hello everyone and welcome to the Shoe Pod Sessions. My name is Lauren Midgley, a Principal Associate in the Commercial and Projects team and I'll be covering today's topic of contract construction. This session is part of a wider collection of episodes designed to help listeners understand more about key components of commercial contracts. For today's episode, I'm joined by Fleur. Hello, I'm Fleur Gribble, a trainee solicitor based in the commercial and projects team. As mentioned, the topic for today is contract construction. I thought it might be helpful to first explore what contract construction actually means. We'll then look at some of the key points to consider when construing a contract and then explore some top tips. So contract construction, what does it mean? Good question. For today's purposes, we'll consider contract construction as the way of determining what the reasonable person would consider as the meaning behind the terms of a written contract. It's probably also helpful to point out that contract construction and contract interpretation are terms often used interchangeably. And this term shouldn't be confused with the interpretation clauses that you would ordinarily find in the contract, which are important for expressly stating how the contract should be interpreted. Our colleagues discuss their top tips for success when it comes to interpretation clauses in episode three of season two of our shoe pods. Thanks, Fleur. So it sounds like we are essentially looking at the principles governing the interpretation of the express terms of a contract. At the outset, it is worth noting that contract construction is not an exact science. Instead, case law is developed organically and there is no strict or set approach. Can you explain more on that? Of course. Historically, if there was a dispute and the courts had to get involved, judges often referred to a rule called the contra preferendum rule. This basically meant that the interpretation of a clause would be read to the detriment of the party that drafted the language. However, this rule is a bit out of date now. Thanks, Lauren, and good pronunciation of your Latin there. As you've mentioned, the court's approach does seem to have changed, and it may, of course, change and develop in the future. Now, the courts will look at the words actually say and consider their natural and ordinary meaning. For example, a decorator may have agreed with a cafe owner to paint the cafe green. To the decorator, green may be the colour of grass. The cafe owner, however, may have hay fever and not want to associate with grass in her day to day. Instead, she might be thinking of a sage-like tone. Even though the parties might both visualise green in different ways, this doesn't change the meaning behind the word itself. Ah, I see. So in this situation, if the decorator were to paint the cafe the colour of grass, that wouldn't necessarily be wrong? Exactly. And the courts might interpret it in this way too, if they were to take the words as they are, rather than as the parties intended. Thanks, Fleur. So moving on, The courts might also consider what the rest of the contract says, looking for guidance in the context of the wider contract and to see if the rest of the contract could impact how that clause should be read. Using our green paint example, the cafe owner might have also asked for the stairway to be painted sage green. Here, the courts might consider that this means that all of the cafe should also be painted sage green. Or they may take the view that because sage green was specified in relation to the stairway itself, then using the word green on its own was intentional and therefore any green should be acceptable. So, as you can see, the intention is not clear. Exactly. In addition to this, the courts could consider the wider factual, legal and regulatory context. 
For example, the courts may check if any background notes were recorded in the recital section of the contract. With our green paint scenario, perhaps the recital said the decorator is employed to paint the cafe sage green. Here, the intention should be pretty obvious. Yes, definitely. Moving away from the actual words of the contract, though, the courts may consider the wider commercial purpose of the contract and use general business sense. This approach may only be relevant, though, where there are competing meanings of the same words. But it's important to remember that the literal meaning of the wording will still clearly be important. Additionally, business common sense might also be given some weight if there is more than one interpretation of the same clause. Finally, the courts may consider reasonableness. Namely, would the outcome be completely absurd? However, it's important to remember that the courts will not rectify a bad bargain or improve the position of a party by rewriting a contract. Here, it would be hard to imagine a situation where the decorator painting at the cafe a slightly different shade of green would be an absurd situation. To put this all into perspective, it might be helpful to think of Paul Sebastia. Let me explain. In the case of serious international insurance, Lord Stein told the story of how the tyrant Termerus promised the garrison of Sebastia that no blood would be shed if they surrendered to him. Upon their surrender, Termerus, keeping his word, buried them all alive. While no blood was spilt, this doesn't quite seem to match Sebastia's intention when he agreed to surrender. Good point. Okay, so to help us avoid such pitfalls, albeit hopefully less dramatic, and avoid risking the scrutiny of the courts, shall we now consider some top tips we can use when construing a contract? Sounds like a plan to me. Firstly, during contract negotiations, you should make sure that your intentions are entirely clear in terms of what you are prepared to agree and then ensure that these intentions are reflected in the contract wording. If you are specific and rigorous during contract negotiations, this can save wasted time and costs of a dispute of a particular meaning of a clause at a later stage. Secondly, try to stick with simple principles. While it may be difficult to avoid using more complicated principles, care should be taken to ensure that you think through the different ways that the contract could be construed. And remember that, in most cases, you will be held to the natural and ordinary meaning of the language that you have used. You could consider asking someone else to read the clause and see how they would interpret it. This may help stress test any potential weaknesses and help you to adapt any contentious drafting. Thirdly, Try to avoid using different words when articulating similar principles and clauses throughout the contract. For example, if there are multiple indemnities in the contract, then avoid drafting them all slightly differently, unless, of course, that is what you want or need. Otherwise, if there are differences, it may lead the court to wonder if the differences were intentional, and if so, why? Fourthly, don't just assume that the point is covered in the interpretation clause. For example, check whether the word includes is exhaustive or not. Generally, it is best practice to spend time to ensure that the interpretation clause is consistent with your requirements. For more details on this, please check out our ShoePod episode 3 on definitions and interpretation. Finally, check if a conflict clause is needed. Often, contracts will refer out to other documents such as terms and conditions and schedules. Additionally, multiple sets of terms and conditions may apply. Take care to ensure that all relevant terms and conditions, schedules, etc. have been incorporated. 
Additionally, consider if the documents may conflict and if so, a conflict clause may be needed to set out the intended order of priority. Thanks, Lauren. So in summary, it's really important to pay careful attention when drafting a contract and consider how somebody else might read the clause once the contract is finalised. Doing so can help reduce the likelihood of any disagreement as to the interpretation of the contract and so reduce the chance of a judge ruling against you. Exactly, but it's important to recognise that this can be hard. It's likely to be that issues and gaps are only apparent when a dispute arises which concerns exactly how that clause could be interpreted. Such a dispute might be in the most unexpected places or circumstances. At that point, as we've seen, a whole variety of considerations can come into play, from the word in itself to the wider business context. Thanks, Lauren. As we've said, issues with contract construction can appear in the least obvious of places. Yes, and for this reason, it's always a good idea to involve legal professionals when preparing a contract. Even if you think the agreement is simple and informal, it may still be open to interpretation, and importantly, to an interpretation that doesn't work in your favour. That brings us to the end of today's session on contract construction. We hope that you found it interesting, and if you need any further support on the topics discussed today, please get in touch. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. <laughs>